look great. You're doing good. You are fabulous. Yes, that's right. Welcome to the podcast for moms by this mama, keeping it raw, real, and unfiltered every Thursday. Let's get into Christian Mom Uncensored. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month. And because we are focusing on mental health um, this month and bringing awareness to people about mental illness and things like that, I want to share with you all um, some of the things that I've struggled with in my lifetime. And the reason why I want to be open, honest, raw, and vulnerable is because it can help destigmatize mental illness, right? Um, all of us probably know somebody who has anxiety, who struggles with depression, who has a history of disordered eating, and so many other, there's so many different types of mental illness. And unfortunately, for some people, there's still a lot of shame around that. I think specifically for men, especially, it can be hard to get them to get treatment or to seek help or a therapy. And, um, anyway, so I want to share with you on this episode, some of my, some of my story really. And, um, Hopefully, it'll help give you guys some insight and some inspiration and also kind of just help you help destigmatize mental illness. Um, but before we do that, I do want to catch up just a little bit and um, then we'll dive right on in. Let's do it, y'all. Happy belated Mother's Day to any mamas who are listening. I celebrate mon- Mother's Day like from, from Sunday when Mother's Day was until this next Sunday. So you should as well because Mother's Day things are now on sale. There's typically a Mother's Day sale a couple of days after. And if you if you missed out, Memorial Day sale is coming up soon too. So still treat yourself. Still like kind of take time for yourself. But I wanted to catch you guys up on what's been going on in my life and what's, what I've been up to. And so I... I think on the last episode, I think I was saying that I was struggling with the idea of sending Ethan off to take the kids to visit his parents without me. My struggle was I had a lot, a lot of work to do on Saturday and I really wanted to catch up on work. It was man, it was like optional overtime, which all my overtime at work is optional for me. I say that because it's not optional for my husband, but for me it is. And so I wanted to sit down and really work a couple hours because... I think I took off a day last week or something. I don't really remember. Um, Elliot had a doctor's appointment too, so that kind of messed up my, my week a little bit. But I just had to catch up. And I was nervous because I had some weird feelings and all this other stuff. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want him to drive two hours away and not be able to entertain him and have Elliot cry the whole time and all this other stuff. But they went. They had a good time. And I got to sit home I was on my computer working and watching the show, The Wilds, The Wilds season two. I finished it all um, on Sunday. So I watched it in a day. And then I think I watched it all day Saturday. And then I think I had two episodes to finish up on Sunday. And I did that. And it was such a great season. I can't wait for season three. <laughs> um, so that's a good show if you want something to watch. It's really good, The Wilds. I recommend it. It's on Prime Video. But anyway, I 
So he went and did that. And really, you just have to have good friends that will check you because I was talking I was talking to my best friend about it. And she was like, well, if you don't let him, if you don't loosen the reins, right? Like if you don't let him start doing these things, you're never going to be comfortable with him doing those things. And so I was like, that's right. That's true. It's just his mom. It's not like he's taking them somewhere random. He's just going to his parents' house. And so that's completely fine. So he did that. And then Saturday night, I went out with friends and it was a really good time. And I felt guilty because the kids were gone all day and then they got home around 5.30 and then I left at 7.30. And so I was like, I didn't have, I didn't see them much Saturday, but I do see them literally all day, most days of the week. So I tried to kind of let go of that mom guilt. And then Sunday I hung out with my family, my, my, like my mom, my aunt, my grandparents and all of their kids and my kids and all the things. And it was a good it was a good little Mother's Day. Completely exhausting, though. It was not restful at all. I thought I would get to rest and sleep in and relax, um, but that didn't happen not once. I, <laughs> The only good thing was, like, Saturday I kind of could do my own thing, but Sunday was just, like, chaotic trying to catch up. But moving forward, um, yes. So it was a pretty good Mother's Day weekend. I wanted to tell you all a little bit about something that I kind of realized in um, just in my communication with God and life. And it was, I, I woke up this morning and I had like, a, it was a, like a rough kind of start trying to get Mia out the door for school. Elliot was up, has been up really, really late the past couple of nights, like falling asleep and then like waking up at 11 and staying awake for hours and trying to get him to go back to sleep. He's been super itchy. So I think he's like allergic to something or he's reacting to something. And then he has four freaking teeth coming in at once. So he's kind of miserable. I did give him a little Tylenol last night. Typically I don't. I I give him like teethers and there's these like homeopathic things you can give for teething. I don't do the gel at all. I don't really, I'm not a fan, but um, I did give him Tylenol last night because he was just so miserable. And then he finally slept, but I was exhausted and having like such a hard time balancing, right? And I've been having a hard time balancing for a while. I think you guys know that. Um, I, especially relationships, I will tell you, it is so hard to have friendships, a marriage, family life, time with yourself, time with God, and then time to do the dishes, time to do laundry, time to schedule appointments. I already did my taxes, but that was weighing on me for a long time doing my taxes, um, which I'm a little upset about. And I'm really, I'm going to, I'm waiting to get my refund. I should receive a refund, but it looks like it's so much less than it should be. So I'm like, no, 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 give me all my money back. Um, and, you know, get gas in the cars and do all these things. <sighs> and it's hard to figure out. And then like, go to the gym and pray and go to church. It is so much, y'all. And I was just feeling this morning like, you know, last weekend when I, it was Mother's Day, I had family time, I had friend time, and I had time with myself, but I had no time with my spouse. So then next weekend, I would like to kind of flip it. I am going to have some friend time because I'm going to the Bridgerton Ball next weekend. Super excited. This weekend, actually super excited. And then on Sunday, I would like to have some spouse time, some marriage time. But it is it is just hard in a, in a week and in a day and in a life to like figure out your schedule. And... So I was just kind of having a grumpy morning, day kind of situation, and I decided to go ahead and listen to Joyce Meyer, which isn't something I do all the time, 
but it was something I used to do a lot. And I was like, you know what, let me center myself. I didn't feel like listening to like a full sermon, uh, but I wanted more than my five minute morning devotional. And so I listened to Joyce Meyer and she was talking about enjoying your life, right? And how oftentimes as people, we live for the next thing. We live for the next party, the next event, the next vacation, the next weekend. And I realized that for me, I have been living, especially if you're like a stay-at-home mom or even if you're not, like sometimes you can just live for your spouse to be home and then expect a lot from them when they get home. And I can admit that when Ethan's gone, they're very long days. He'll leave the house at like 7.30, won't get home till 7.30. And so it's just me and the kids all day. And I'll be like, can't wait for daddy to get home because then I can shower or then I can have a break or then I can go do whatever I want. And what I realize is that I don't want to spend my life waiting for him to call me or him to be home, which is fine. Like, it's good that I'm excited to see him and stuff. But I want to enjoy every day, even the mundane, even the getting up and going to work, even the waking up and making breakfast again. I was feeling so not just bored, but just like sick of the monotony of every single morning, I have to get up and put Elliot back to sleep. I have to come downstairs and log on my computer. And then I have to make breakfast. That's going to either be hit or miss. Some days they eat super well. And I'm like, I'm the best. Some days they don't really want to eat. And I'm like, I just wasted my time cooking this. You could have had cereal. (laughs) And like, you know, and then I was getting like frustrated and grumpy. And I didn't want Mia to have a bad start to her day because I was frustrated. And then Ethan was frustrated and it was just all all around frustration. And I was like, look, we can't only live for the highest points of our lives or the times where we have fun, right? Like we can't only live, no, not to say you can't look forward. Like I'm looking forward to, to my vacations. I am looking forward to the weekend. I enjoy those times where my responsibility isn't as high and, you know, my stress level can kind of mellow down, um, But I don't want to only be happy when I clock out of work. You know, that's eight hours of my day. I want to be happy as I'm doing it. And there's sometimes I am and sometimes I'm grumbling. And so when you can try to find peace and joy in the everyday moments and really find joy in every single day, like, oh, like for instance, today, um, I got into work late because Elliot didn't sleep. It's a whole thing. Um, I logged on at 7.22. 7.22 is when I logged on. I like to be on at, on at 6. I have the option to log on as late as 9.30, but I logged on at 7.22, which is kind of in the middle. And because of that, I'm at a place where I can either take the kids to the park when I'm done, or I can go to the gym. M- Mia really wants to go to the park. I'm always going to put my kids first and it's hard. Now, if Mia's like, I can go to the park later and I can figure out my schedule a little bit, maybe I can do the gym in the park or I can go for a run at the park. Um, it's just hard to go for a run when you have two little kids. It's just a whole journey. But anyway, I think that we all need to be reminded of two things. Like don't live life for the next thing. Live life every single day and enjoy, be mindful, you know, um, try to slow down. And the way to do that is to just live moment by moment through the senses. Um, what do you see? What do you smell? Do you have taste anything? What do you hear? How do you feel? What's the temperature like? 
What can you be thankful for? And like, that's, what do you see? What do you hear? Something you can see, something you hear, something you can smell. What color is that? That's something that good if you're having, do, if you're having anxiety is to just stop and start like, all right, what are five things you see? Okay, I see a chair. I see my car. I see a tree. I see my neighbor taking out recycling. I see a basketball hoop. Okay, what do I hear? I hear a car. I hear Ethan talking on the phone right now downstairs. I hear my voice. Like, things like that can help kind of you if you have anxiety. But um, moving forward, anyway, all I wanted to say was we a lot of times um, just live for the future when we should enjoy every moment. The other thing is your spouse can't make you happy. That sounds kind of like, what? No. Your spouse is not responsible for your happiness. Let me dive deeper. I think that when you get married and when you find your person, they are going to make you happy and they're going to bring happiness to your life. But they cannot be the sole reason why you are happy. That's insanely toxic. Um, and some you can't change a person or you, and you can't make a person do anything. So if you put them in charge of your happiness, there are times where you're going to be very happy and then times when you're going to be disappointed. And what you need to do is find happiness within yourself and your partner adds to that happiness. They elevate that happiness. Um, and something that I was feeling is like I've been feeling kind of overwhelmed with the house lately. Ethan has been working late. And I'm talking like really late on days where he shouldn't be working late, on days where I'm supposed to have a helping hand. And I've been feeling like, well, you didn't do this, 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 or this. And, or you said you were going to do this and didn't do this. And then I've been feeling resentful. Like, do you see that there's no dish fairy that I did the dishes? When is the last time you took out the trash? why do I have to tell you to do it? You just threw something in it. You just saw how full it was. What's going to happen in the morning when I have to make breakfast and clean up breakfast and do this other stuff? I'm going to have to take out the trash on top of answering calls and dealing with diaper changes and Mia needs to go potty. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a constructive conversation of, hey, I need some more help. These are the areas you can help me, but just don't put them in charge of your happiness. Okay, so that's my two cents for the day. (laughs) Now I'm going to get raw and real. And so I'm going to have a trigger warning here. And this is what I'll say. If you are far removed from any serious mental illness, I don't think this will trigger you, but I don't know your life. Um, I will be discussing um, some mental illness. (laughs) And not that I'm laughing. It's just, you know, nervous tick. Uh, And if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I have a background of um, disordered eating, of self-harm, of um, anxiety, and so even like depression and stuff. And so I'm going to dive into all of that because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I want to share with you all some of the things that I've gone through and some of the things that have helped and some of the things I'm doing now to continue to be healthy. And um, at the end, I'll give you guys resources and stuff. So when I was in the eighth grade, I, and some of you know this story, I was bullied and I was bullied heavily over some trivial stuff. Um, I was bullied because I went to a predominantly white school and then I went to a predominantly black school and then I went to a 
pretty mixed school, but it was still more, more black. And I'd only ever gone to private school or, um, was homeschooled and things. I mean, I went to elementary school for one year, but then I was homeschooled and then I went to private school throughout my middle school career. And I, I'm sorry if you hear this lawnmower, was bullied for the way I talked. And I mean, I walked onto the bus the very first day of school in my outfit that I spent so much time putting together because I could finally wear clothes other than a school uniform. And I was listening to Eminem and somebody says, hey, what are you listening to? And I said, oh, I'm listening to Eminem. And they were like, what? Why? He's so white. And I'm black. Okay? <laughs> and so it became this whole journey of bullying me and picking on me for no reasons, really. And um, I honestly think that at that time, there was just a little bit of chaos in my life. And because of that, I did something that I could control. And I kind of have always been confident. There were times before when I was in private school where I would have, you know, the popular kids approach me. I was the new kid every year for a couple of years. Um, and I loved being the new kid. Like I mastered being the new kid. In fact, I have new kid syndrome, which isn't a real thing. I don't think I just made it up. And it's like, I crave to be in somewhere new and to be in an environment where I know no one. I, I love that. I love to, I love to just do that. I, I like, that's why I want to move. Cause I have, I'm used to it. I'm used to having to kind of re put together my life and it's kind of fun. But anyway, um, I, started that's when I really started my disordered eating I thought I was too fat and I really really wasn't I really wasn't I was like a kid in the seventh in the eighth freaking grade you know what I mean and I went through this whole journey and it kind of started there but it didn't really peak until I was in my sophomore year of high school um my freshman year I was kind of doing some dangerous things some skipping meals, some working out, and it just really intensified my sophomore year. Um, and it it was the, the hardest part about that, or if, if you've ever dealt with somebody who has had a history of like anorexia or bulimia or um, anything with disordered eating, at least for me, is my body image has always been off. Um, and I would just pick apart everything. And I think the thing that sucks the most about that is like, I feel like as women and as people, we already naturally somewhat judge ourselves compared to others and um, have things we have to work on and things we have to focus on. And I, you know, got obsessive. And one of the ways I got better um, or got to a healthier place was doing something that I would consider um, not nice, but it's survival. So I would look at other people and I wouldn't ever say any of this to their face or to anyone else, but I would look at other women that, you know, I was comparing myself to. I'd be like, oh, well, she's skinnier here. She has prettier hair. She, and I would have to start looking at them and finding their flaw. And I'd be like, oh, well, her outfit's stupid. Or, oh, wow, she has really big ears. And, and then I would be like, okay, but you don't, so you feel better. And that didn't, that wasn't sustainable. It was how I first attempted to feel better. And it was kind of like not nice. Um, but it was like survival. Um, and honestly, the thing that frustrates me the most with this time, like at that time, high school is such a sensitive time. And I had gotten to, I didn't get really, really healthy till, till college. Um, and then even then I felt like I got too healthy. Like I got too fat. I got, you know, I did all this other stuff. And, um, 
the biggest struggle of dealing with that is and on a level you never feel good enough you never feel pretty enough you never feel more perfect enough um you never feel you know like your self-worth is tied to your image and um I don't know it was just an interesting it was just a well it was a dark time in my life coming out of it I went to therapy and it was weird. It was a very strange circumstance. Um, and I went to, and I started building a relationship with, uh, with God and started thinking about how I'm valued. I started affirmations. I had to have sticky notes everywhere of your beautiful. I had to like force myself and my best friend was right there with me. Um, and it was really scary for her. Like, she's the one who kept saying, I needed help, I needed help. And I'm sure she's a little bit traumatized from that. It's why she was so hard on Ethan when he started dating me. Um, and it was hard on everyone that dated me. It was like, if you say one bad thing about the way she looks, she's going to spiral. So be very careful for the rest of your life. And he has been. <sighs> but I think that... Um, I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of people can relate to, like, when you get around family, the conversation of weight is inevitable, and it can be triggering, and I remember um, I gained a little weight in college at first, and one of my aunts, my great aunts, had said, oh, you gained a little weight, you look like a model now, because before I was too skinny, Um, well, you know, I had a whole disorder, so I was, like, severely underweight, um, she was like, you look like a model. In that whole trip, I questioned everything I ate, everything I wore. And it was a compliment. You, you gained a little weight. You look like a model. It was a compliment. But it completely, like, took me right back to being 15 years old. And it was just, it just, like, consumes you in, a, such, a, in such a sad way. So in dealing with that, um, I have been painfully aware of, you know, how dangerous it is to, to like starve yourself or do dangerous things with eating. But also I've been really aware about how I talk to my kids, uh, specifically about how they look and then also about how I look. (laughs) And I was really nervous to get pregnant. When you get pregnant, if you... If you have a history of any sort of trauma, please tell your doctor what any trauma. If you have something terrible has happened to you, please tell your doctor because they will be better prepared and better equipped to handle you um, throughout your pregnancy and with childbirth and all of that. And so my doctors knew, for instance, when I get on the scale, I don't want to know how much I weigh. And so... um, Unless it's a problem, like, don't, don't tell me. And so they didn't, and they would just be like, oh, you're doing good, and stuff like that. At first, I wasn't gaining at all. I didn't gain for a long time with Mia. I never knew how much I was with Elliot. I'm not even going to lie. I never knew, because they just never told me. I think I was pretty heavy, though, <laughs> and because um, he was massive. But that will definitely help. I was nervous, but I was so excited to be a mom and to be pregnant. Like, your whole... For me, it was really healing, and I've heard people who have, 
a similar background as I do, like with disordered eating or whatever, whatever, whatever. And for them, it's very triggering to have to like gain weight and eat more food and do this for the baby. For me, it was really healing to see like, yes, my body put on this much, but it is sustaining life and creating life. And it kind of, for me, like, um, you know, kind of like helps me look at the purpose of my body instead of, you know, okay, here's this number you're supposed to magically fit. And so, and I did well after both of my kids, I kind of was like, you just had a baby, give yourself grace. And now I'm at a point where I didn't just have a baby, Elliot's one. So I I had my baby a while ago now, and I'm starting to feel like you need to get it together. And so navigating the, one of my struggles is, um, in life is kind of navigating myself and regulating myself is my thought pattern healthy right now or am I being too much um that's something that I kind of struggle like right now for instance for me to be like you have this whole one and a half year old and you're still not a size whatever or you're you still haven't lost a lot of weight you need to go to the gym well is it motivating me or hurting me and so something I really want to practice is just being comfortable in my body and it's hard. It's so hard. I'm really still not comfortable, um, especially after babies. Um, but I, th- I just want to encourage anyone who has a woman in their life, who is a woman, who just knows people, is to just always be kind with others because um, your words can make such a difference, even if, you, even if it's good, you know. And um, you never know what someone's walking through. Like on a daily basis... I didn't know I had an issue or a problem until I realized I was eating weird. I, I didn't like to show people that I was consuming food. In fact, this is how one of my friends that I met in the past couple of years, one from, um, I'm not going to say where she's from just in case other people are listening, um, but she had noticed a couple of things about me. She noticed at lunch, I always left my food in my lunchbox. I would never like sit down and take my food out and open the lid and eat it in front of everyone. I always kind of hid my food and ate it um and rarely ate all of it because I was self-conscious about how much I was eating in front of others and I had this one conversation where I was talking with Ethan on the phone about like my pants weren't able to fit and I was like losing it like not just like oh my pants don't fit this sucks just like oh my gosh and then you know she had a history and she was able to kind of see it in me and I think that's what made us start talking honestly is she was like hey when I hang out, and I don't even know how we started hanging out. It really is a blur. Um, but I love her and I miss her dearly. And I wish that I could talk to her and lots of other things. Um, not to say, don't, don't like point out, you know, and people be like, bro, why are you eating? Like, take your food out. What are you doing, girl? And I'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. And, and it's, it was just such a weird, and, it, and it's still a weird phase. I remember I was sitting at work the other day and I had gotten a Chipotle salad because I had a little gift card. And, um, I was eating chips and I was so self-conscious of my crunch every time I ate it. This has nothing to do with disordered eating. It just was just like my self-consciousness. And so I definitely struggled in that area. A lot of girls will. A lot of people will say every girl had this issue. And I think that makes it light when it isn't a light subject. Every girl on some level for sure has felt uncomfortable in their own skin. Every person has, um, or has felt, you know, maybe they didn't like certain things about themselves. It doesn't always have to be, you know, that they want to be skinnier. Sometimes they want to gain weight. Sometimes they wish their hair was different. I've been in all those different types of phases. Um, 
well, not gaining, wanting to gain weight, but, um, so yes, on a level, every girl has walked through something with their self-image that's hard, but not everyone has experienced, um, an eating disorder. And it is something that unfortunately I have realized since I've been doing this for 15 years, um, or since I've dealt with it for 15 years, it is something you have to consciously fight and consciously keep at bay. I will have months where I feel fine. And then one day I'm not okay anymore. And, um, I can't always pinpoint what it is. Um, I find that if I'm working out and going to the gym, it helps keep the monster at bay, right? Like I can't go crazy. Like I used to like every single day for hours work out. I can't do that. I can't restrict food. I'm breastfeeding. Like I can't do any of that. Um, but if I at least work out a couple times a week, it keeps, for me, the monster at bay. So that's, anyway, that's just kind of my experience with it. It's definitely interesting having kids. Um, I just want my, my children, specifically Mia, who's a girl, to know that she's beautiful and she's powerful. No matter what size, we look so different. She has, like, she looks like a little white chick. Like, she has blue eyes and like she was born with blonde hair and she is fair 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 skin she does not look like she's biracial at all Elliot looks a little biracial but again he can pass and like I don't know if that will be an area of contention or if that will be like a whatever type of deal I kind of want them to grow up and have it be like whatever and so having a relationship with both sides of our family is important that's another reason why I was like go down and see her your in-laws who look more like you because my family, you know, but my family is so diverse that it, I, I don't think it's going to be like a huge um, thing. But honestly, I don't know. I don't. It's not my story. Um, it's not my challenge. So there is that. So just remember to be nice and um, all of that. So that's kind of one area that I kind of struggled kind of, but I actually really struggled with mental illness. Another area that I struggled in was, um, I'm a high performer. I'm a type A high performing person. I am the firstborn of my family, um, as of my siblings. I am the firstborn girl. I'm the first grandchild in that thing where it's like each sibling has different personalities. I think everything they say about the firstborn is true. In my case, maybe not in everybody's case, but in my case, It's a thousand percent true. And so as a high performing person, um, I'm naturally anxious (laughs) is what I want to say. So like I said, I'm a high performer, a high performer. And so, um, I really struggle when I'm bad at things. Ask anyone. I don't like to be bad at anything, which sounds dumb because most people don't. But, um, for me, failure has never been an option in a natural way naturally in life things fail and so I um was in college and I was failing a math class and which sounds kind of simple but my best friend had transferred schools due to you know circumstances I lost a friend group and had to like rebuild a new friend group and I was failing math class and I For years, I had realized that I kind of suffer from seasonal depression, um, like a lot of people do. The winter is an extremely, extremely 
extremely hard time for me. Um, and it was winter and I had been self-harming. I had been really depressed and I think Ethan had kind of noticed it and had told my roommate <laughs> at the time, who's a good friend of mine. And, um, they kind of were on Britney watch and I got to a really, really dark place where I think I was just so overwhelmed with the circumstances of things going on at home, um, of things going on at school and, you know, this whole loss of things that I thought I needed and loved and wanted and thought I was going to end it all. So I got some pills and I was saying goodbye to everyone. I'd said goodbye to my roommate and I'd said goodbye to Ethan. And I think they just knew. I'm really thankful to Ethan and my roommate because they were smart enough to call public safety, um, who ended up, you know, I was going to go to class because I'm a high performer and then after class and, um, do everything. So this is like trigger warning. This is like suicide here. And I, um, yeah, I thought, I thought this is it. And I didn't really have time to do anything because I guess I'm guessing that, you know, I had seen Ethan right after class, like going back to my room and stuff. And he just knew something, something was not right. And so, um, luckily I had public safety come get me from my room before I had time to do anything. Like I was still kind of like taking off my backpack and like, you know, you get home from class or whatever. Um, I was in my dorm room and I had, um, I had somebody from public safety. Actually, it wasn't even public safety. It was, I think this is who it was. I can't, this is all kind of foggy, but somebody who I had known, um, the way our center was set up was like upstairs. This building was set up like upstairs. There was like the health suite, the counseling suite. There was like lockers for the mail. There's bathrooms, some conference rooms, the bookstore. And then you go down the hall and there's this huge cafeteria. And then in, down in the basement, was where the Center for Student Diversity was. We had like a social justice club. Our campus activities was down there and like with pool tables. And so I I think my roommate had gone down to the Center for Student Diversity. We were friends and was talking about her concern. And so then the director at the time had called me myself and was like, hi, Brittany, are you in your room right now and things like that and I was like yeah I'm in my room and she was on the phone with me for like kind of like a while which I realized now was stalling me and um then I like hear a knock at the door and it's public safety and they're like hi we just want you to come down to the suite with us and um I went and saw this counselor and I was there for it feels like hours um they decided like I wasn't a safety threat at the end of the conversation, this long conversations. They called my mom, my mom. I don't know if she came up that day, but she was up shortly after then. Um, and then Carmen, my, that was my roommate's name. She was with me the whole night at, at, in our room and stuff. And, um, it was really a dark time and, you know, through therapy and stuff and working with her and talking about things that I hadn't really talked about before. Um, we were able to kind of make some game plans and to deal with like the stress of it all. And for me, it was really just the stress of it all and, um, and, and things like that. And so 
you know, that's like a split. Sometimes it's like a split second decision that changes the rest of your life. And I'm thankful that I wasn't given enough time to do that. Um, Because who knows what everything would be like at that point. And so if you are struggling or you know somebody who's struggling, getting help is really imperative. And I think one of the biggest frustrations is when, when it comes to mental illness and when it comes to any situation that can be like harmful to your emotional state, unless the person's ready, whether it be addiction, whether it be abuse, whether it be something like to, like, like with me, unless they're ready, they're not going to be willing to open up. And so I think just always being there for your friends in another corner can do a lot and can, it can go a lot further. And I think that's why the pandemic was extremely dangerous for some people and extremely hard. Um, be locked in the house with nothing but alcohol if you're in an addiction, if you're an addict, um, or if you are depressed, now you can be depressed. You don't have to leave the house. And so as the world opens up, as I, I, everyone do what you feel comfortable with, but something I definitely struggled with the pandemic was taking care of my family physically, because I have babies, you know, and then also mentally. We need sunshine. It's in our DNA. We need sunshine. And so if I can get my kids out, I want to get them out. And even now, um, this is completely like kind of not even this like a different conversation. But, you know, if we've been in the house for a couple of days, like two days, let's say we haven't gone anywhere in two days because there's no need to. Um, for instance, this past weekend, the weather wasn't great. The, the kids went around, but the weather wasn't great. Yesterday, we went for a walk. Um, if I realize that Elliot hasn't gotten out the house because he doesn't have to go anywhere, Mia goes to school at least. I'm like, no, we're getting out the house. And so just make sure you get out the house, even if it's just to get coffee, even if it's just just roll down the windows and let that sunshine. I am the type of person who will have the windows all the way down. Sunshine, music blasting. That's my favorite thing in the world. I will never have the AC on unless the kids are in the car. And if it's really, really hot outside, I will have my windows down with the AC on, which is not like smart or good for your car, but it's good for my soul. And so that's a whole different conversation. But the weather right now looks beautiful. And I'm actually counting down until I can take the kids outside. I think they're sleeping. But yeah, so I, I'm like a, I'm a happy-go-lucky, um, bubbly kind of person. So it sometimes can be a surprise that like I went through this dark phase of my life. Um, and I've gone through that phase multiple times in my life. Um, and it, it really, friendships are, are so important. Not that, not that that will ultimately fix everything. But if I didn't have friends in my corner, you know, things would be looking completely, completely different. And so that's about what I want to say about that experience. What I learned from it was that dark times don't always last. And that when I start to feel, if I ever start to feel any kind of, you know, depression, anxiety or whatever, whatever, um, get outside. And that's kind of why I've always pushed to move south, which sounds silly, but I just feel like if I moved south where it's warmer, I could be outside more and all of that. So the last area I kind of want to shine on, um, is talking about postpartum. Postpartum depression is very, very real and postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage those are all um, 
things that can happen after you have a baby. And I wasn't really aware of postpartum rage or anxiety when I had Mia. I, I was aware of depression and I was actually terrified that I would have it because I kind of have a history. Um, when I was, so I talked about my incident in college. I forgot to mention that um, during that time we had discussed if I needed to get on medication for depression. And me and my therapist as a team ultimately ultimately decided that I didn't want to be dependent on it. And there's nothing wrong if you're dependent on your medication. There's nothing wrong with that. But we felt like I, let's see what I can do through therapy. And if I really need it, let's, let's go ahead and start with a half dose. And let's have a timeline so that I can kind of wean myself off of it. Because some of these... Um, some of the drugs are harder to get off of. And so our goal was, um, we realized that a lot of everything was circumstantial for me. It wasn't necessarily depression in the sense that I had a like a hormonal imbalance. If I did, it was like lack of serotonin, things like that. It wasn't something I needed for a long time. But in a, another area of my life, I had graduated college and I got the job a job in the position that I work now. Um, and it's a very hard position to get. People want to act like it's not hard. It's a very challenging position to get. I mean, some people love doing this type of stuff, but I'm not, I'm not naturally inclined for this type of work that I do. And so I, during that, the training for it was so anxious that I ended up seeing a psychiatrist and getting on anxiety medicine. And I got off of it a couple months before my wedding um, I had slowly, I talked to him about, because uh, I was on it for about a year, and then I talked to him about getting off of it, and it did make me feel different. Like, I could handle my experience at that time, but I don't like the way I felt taking it. Like, I could feel physically like a like something inside. I don't know how to describe it. Have you ever taken medicine that makes you feel like a little bit jittery, a little bit shaky? It, like, kind of made me feel like that, but I was able to handle the anxiety, and, um, so I had decided with him, like, again, this is a short-term, this is a short-term solution for this situation that I'm in. And so what have I learned from these experiences? One, there's always light at the end of the tunnel and, um, therapy is really, really good for you. It's very good for you. It can be emotionally exhausting. And there's sometimes where you're not in the headspace for it. Like if you've had an emotionally exhausting week, Sometimes you're not ready to unload or unpack anything heavy. You just want a minute to breathe. And I think if you have a good therapist, they'll be able to, you know, like if you're like, hey, I'm emotionally exhausted from this week. I don't want to unpack this. I just want to breathe. I think they'll be really helpful in that area as well. Of Like, well, maybe you can spend some time med meditating this hour instead and let's reconnect whenever. But anyway, um, Interestingly, I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast because once it's out there, it's out there. I've thought about many times in my life um, becoming a therapist myself. And I know people who have studied psychology and they're like, no, it doesn't pay. You have to do all these work and all these hours and it's, it's emotionally exhausting. It's a lot like teaching, at least like my teacher friends and my friends who have studied psychology all say like, it's like you're not, it's like a dead end job. It's not. But for me, I think that um, if I got the degree, it would, I really wouldn't be trying to work for anyone else. I'd really be trying to establish something myself um, because I've been, I love psychology. I'm so fascinated with the human brain and the psyche and like of everything and everyone. And I naturally, and like 
want to help people, <laughs> hence the podcast. Um, and I'm, I just thought that for a long time, that could be a way that I did it. I did not get that degree in um, college because I sat down in this one class and the professor scared me. So I dropped it really fast and was like, maybe I should major in something else. <laughs> and, I, and I switched majors, but um, therapy can really, really be a helpful tool. And so I really forgot what I was going to go into next, but I'm about to go into another topic because that's what I was going to do, but I forgot. It was I circled back to anxiety and being on meds. Oh, postpartum. Okay, so I want to talk about postpartum. Oh, you guys. Uh, so I, having a history of, like, not necessarily depression, but yeah, like depression and like um, anxiety, I was really nervous about what I would be like after having a baby. I'm somebody who I believe, I'm self-diagnosed PMDD. My it's, it's beyond PMS for me when it comes to the emotions. It is like, and I, I feel like maybe it isn't, I, I need to talk to my doctor about it. I feel like there's a chance I have it because my emotions the week leading up to, or like a week and a half, week, week and a half before is in, it's like literally insane. And then I'll get my period and I'll be fine. And like, honestly, what I've noticed my whole life is that my period regulates me. I always feel my best during that time. And I, and then obviously during ovulation, I feel great too. But, um, anyway, and so I was nervous about becoming pregnant and having to deal with the emotional mood swings of it. Sorry, you guys about this lawnmower. Interestingly enough, um, interestingly enough, I, was very balanced when I was pregnant and I was like pregnancy healed me and after having both of my kids I did have baby blues but neither time did I have um postpartum depression and there's a really big difference uh baby blues I feel like feels a little more it doesn't last forever it doesn't it didn't last for me at least it lasted like a week for me, um, after having Elliot and I mean, and, and Mia, where with Mia, I would, the way I, my baby blues were, which is just like the hormones and everything. I would just stand over her. Crib. I was like, one day I was just like laying her in her crib to take pictures. And I just bawled, like I was bawling and laughing. And it was like this crazy emotional rush. And I'm like, full sobbing, like the hardest I've ever sobbed. And Ethan's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I'm like, I just love her so much. I just love her so much. And I, and then he was like, well, <laughs> that's great. And uh, that was my form with Elliot. What I realized with Elliot is that I would enjoy the daytime, but once it hit three o'clock, cause he had colic. And I know some people don't believe colic is a thing, I think it's a thing. They're like, if your baby's crying, it's for a reason. But if I have fed them, burped them, changed them, this didn't last forever too. It lasted like two months or something like that. Anyway, so he would scream from like six to 10 for like four hours crying nonstop. And I would just dread it. And it was like winter, like he was born in October. And so it was like kind of dark outside early. And so to me, I, I felt really sad on some days and I was like, why am I sad? I have a newborn. And I was like, Oh, it's, it's, I hope it's not, I thought it was postpartum depression, but it went away in like a week. 
Um, and so there is, but there are things like postpartum anxiety, which I feel like I've had ever since giving birth to both of my kids. Um, maybe not, not actually postpartum anxiety, but my anxiety levels about things happening are bad. Like, like so bad, like intrusive thoughts sound like, what if I just dropped the baby and he died? And I would have things, I'd have like fears like that. Like, what if, what if you, and like, so like they could never sleep by themselves because I needed to be next to them in the event they stopped breathing, I'm up. In the event that they, you know, I'm, I'm there. Um, and I never slept fully for, I don't think I've ever slept fully in the past four years of my life um, since Mia's been born. Actually, that's not true because Mia's a great sleeper and she would take a bottle and a pacifier. And let me tell you, the best thing I did for my breastfeeding journey with Elliot was not give him a bottle and I did not give him a pacifier. I had tried and it does take a while. I remember it was took me a while for Mia to get used to it, but she did. She was breastfed and then she I had to teach her how to drink from bottles because I knew I was going back to work. With Elliot, I had intended never to leave him again. And so I was like, I'm going to breastfeed him. I didn't give him any bottles. And then by the time I tried to, he didn't know how to work them and he didn't like them. And I hate pumping, and so I never pumped. I never pumped. Some people will power pump. I used to pump when he was first born to build up a stash. Then I stopped. And I was like, where am I going? It's a pandemic. And so I stopped pumping. Um, And I just, you know, the best thing, but the worst thing is that, you know, because our breastfeeding is so good and strong, he, he still won't take a bottle and <laughs> he never took a passy, which was good. It was very hard to break me of her pacifier. She wasn't broken and off until she was like two and a half or something crazy like that. Um, cause she still had one when Elliot was born and she turned two in July that year. And then two months later, Elliot was born, um, or in October, Elliot was born. So, but those are things that are really real and just to be aware of it. And it's not, if you are struggling with those feelings, it has nothing to do with you being a mother. It is all hormonal, all hormonal. And it's okay to take medication if you need to. It's okay if that means that you can't breastfeed, you're still a good mama. Um, and I say this as like a crunchy person, kind of. I'm not even that crunchy. I'm like in the middle. I'm for sure just 100% in the middle as a mom. Um, do they, Babies deserve healthy mommies, and that's when they're the happiest. And so whatever you need to do for that is what you need to do. Um, and there's no shame in that. There's no shame. And if you are struggling, it's okay. Also know that new motherhood is hard, even if this is your first or fifth child. Sometimes we think, oh, you've had five, they're okay. I actually think that the more kids you have, the more support you need after you give birth. Um, and so... Like, if I were to have another, I don't need you to stop by once. I need you to be here every single day to help me wrangle Elliot and Mia while I navigate those postpartum with the new baby. Um, I'm not currently having a new baby, despite my baby fever. Um, it's always like my kids get to about this age, and I want another one. But we're just not in the place in our lives where we feel like that's the right time with with Ethan's work schedule. And even... Um, with Elliot still being such a booby baby, not that you can't breastfeed and be pregnant, you can do that fine. Uh, it's just not the time. So one day in the future, I think I would like another. Um, I've been dreaming about it, but 
I honestly don't feel like having to be. Also, I just got somewhat of a life back, like barely. And so I like to live my life for the next three years. And then when I'm like 32, revisit it. Because 32 is still pretty young. You know what I mean? I'm not like scared to have a baby at 32 or even like 34. Um, But I do like the fact that my kids are close and they're like best friends. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever done is watch them. That doesn't mean it's not hard, but (laughs) I have. And so um, I think we all know somebody who has struggled with depression. And I think the misnomer or the worst things you can say to somebody is like, well, just go take a shower. Just get outside. Just get up. Um, Just stop eating. You know, those types of words are so harmful. And I have been in places where it's been like, I am not moving to take a shower. And it's hard sometimes to understand when you're the type of person who'd like, well, if you just exercise, you'll feel better. Or if you just get outside, you'll feel better. It's those simple steps to do that that are very hard. I have people in my life that have depression. I, I am lucky that I'm not someone who does because I imagine navigating everyday life is hard. And then you deal with the fact like you feel like you're failing because you haven't showered. You haven't gotten up. So you feel self-conscious about that, but you don't have it within you to do that. Um, and so definitely an advocate for therapy. And if you need medicine, sometimes, okay, here's what I'll say. If you need medicine for the rest of your life to feel fine, we live in a broken world. That's okay. If this medicine is going to help you function and to do well and to be okay, that's okay. Also, no, if you're like me, I don't like birth control. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but I don't. I, I, I mean, I put, I took, I took it when I was in college because I thought, you know, that was smart. Um, after we, once we were a couple months out of our wedding, from our wedding, I was like, I'm not going to need these anymore. And I threw them out and never got a refill prescription because I just don't like, I don't like putting things into me that I don't have to. But if you are that person, do it. Like everyone's different. Do what makes you feel good. But the reason why I say that is when I was on medication for anxiety, um, I went into it thinking, I don't want to take this forever. I need something to get me through the next three months. And it was the type of medicine where you had to like slowly stop taking it. And so we had to come up with a game plan. And he was like, okay, let's talk about if you're actually ready for this. And just because you start doesn't mean you have to do it forever. But also if you have to do it forever that's okay. The last thing I want to mention is um, something that we might think about is like, how do you tell your friends or partner if you are struggling in an area and need support? Um, I am very blessed that I married who I married, (laughs) that God picked him out for me, and that I have my best friend who unfortunately walked through those really dark seasons with me because Um, because since she did, she was able to look and see what it is that I was kind of going through and kind of prepare my partners for that. Um, I'm blessed that when I start talking about it, when, so I've been going low carb recently, even talking about that puts him on alert and, um, I think if, if you're ever struggling with something and you really just tell your partner you need to sit down and talk to them and this is how they can help you, I think they'll do those things if they love you. 
And it can definitely be scary and hard. But if you think a friend is struggling, I think also having that conversation with them can be good. Because I was much more willing to open up to my best friend than I was to like my mom. At the time, I was a teenager. So of course, like teenagers, they don't like their parents. They like their friends. Um, But also just just being in that person's corner so that when they need help and they reach out to you, that you're there. Even if that means that you have a friend who's depressed and they keep canceling on you or they don't show up to these things because they're going through it. I think still inviting them or even having a, or, or even if not inviting them out, but still just checking in on them and asking if they want to talk or if you bring them over some coffee. I think just we're all human. We're all walking, you know, we all have battles that no one else knows about. And so I try to think about that when I approach other people. Um, because you just never know what someone has gone through. If you see, like, you just never know. Um, I saw this TikTok of this girl who asked her, you might've seen this. I don't know if you did. It went viral. So you probably saw it. There was this teacher and she said, I had a student today ask me how I wash my hair. And so she was explaining, well, first I wet it. Then I put shampoo in then you rinse, 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 rinse. And then you have to shampoo it again. And you rinse, 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 rinse. And she was telling her teacher, can you please do a TikTok video on that? Because it's just, her mom had passed away. So it's just her her sister and her dad. And she said, I want this video so that my sisters can learn how to wash their hair because the dad's the only one at home. And, you know, I'm sure he can figure out how to wash their hair, but just imagining what that dad is probably facing is hurtful. And honestly, things like that give me so much anxiety. I cannot think about things like that. It makes me like right now, just retelling the story made me super nauseous. Like I feel super sick now because those types of things give me instant anxiety and instant like heartbreak. Like my heart is sad now, but I'm going to get outside and feel better because that's really sad, but I'm really glad that teachers, teachers, you're the MVPs. You are the kids' parents when we're not there. And we thank you for like looking out for little people and taking care of little people and even, even big people like, you know, my high school professors were there for me during that period. And it was so awkward. Once I knew my teachers knew about my incident in college, oh my gosh, my advisor, God bless him, but we did not get along. And he was like, oh, I think he was, I I just didn't like him that much. He wasn't my favorite person. Um, God bless him, but it was just so awkward. And then I had teachers who I really loved who, who were right there like, hey, I don't know. It was a weird time. So anyway, if you know somebody who has struggled or is struggling um, specifically with thoughts of like um, self-harm and suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. They do have options where you can chat. You can click on the website and they give resources. Same if you know somebody who's struggling maybe with disordered eating. um, You can do the same there. Uh, But help is and resources are out there and there are tools for how you can be an ally and a friend for somebody who is struggling. I don't know if ally is the right word to use in that sense. It might not be, but how you can just be on their team and support them if they're struggling. And just remember that people are people. Um, We all have hearts that are beating in our chests. We all feel pain. And so with that in mind, just treat each other well. Mm -hmm.